Hey guys, welcome back. BDC Care here. We're back with Season 8, Episode 21 of our weekly Q&A videos. Not going to plug the different ways you can uh, listen to this, but off the bat here, I am going to plug uh, asking questions if you have any. We're a little light on questions this week, so this is a good time to remind you if you've got anything you want us to talk about, uh, anything that you think is a good jumping off point for a discussion, go ahead and drop that in the comments now. Uh, we'll get around to it. We answer... Everything, pretty much. <laughs> I don't know about everything. One form or another. We, we read everything. We read everything, least. and we, we talk about stuff that might be interesting. And some of the stuff that's some of the stuff that's just fact questions that are easy to look up or easy to figure out. We maybe don't give as much time to. Mm -hmm. yeah. We answer a lot of stuff then. Yeah. So off the bat, here you wanted to talk about a couple things. So we started off talking last time about media that we recommended. Yeah. And I sort of touched on the expands, and it's really popular now. I start off on the sci-fi channel. It was picked up by Amazon. I think there's one more season after the one that, which just finished. There's one more season that's been, um, I guess announced or confirmed, but that won't be enough to cover the books. Mm -hmm. And I guess everybody who's seen it and likes it, don't, they don't need me to tell them why it's good. Cause it really is good. And the thing I sort of not my main point, but something that just occurs to me now is that when I was growing up, I really didn't like to walk, watch science fiction shows. Mm -hmm. I like watching science fiction movies and it was part of it was because even then I, I mean, we're talking when special effects were really awful. Yeah. And so what separated the movie special effects and the TV show special effects, I guess when you're really young, you don't care as you get a little bit older and you see something like star Wars where they actually put some money into it and they have really innovative and impressive special effects. Yeah. Then it shouldn't matter too much, but then when you watch something on TV and it, every time they're trying to do something and it looks crappy, really cheap, it pu it pulls me out of story, so I don't enjoy the story as much. It's not as immersive. Mm. So I avoided science fiction TV shows for the longest time. Didn't really get back into it until Firefly mm -hmm. and Battlestar the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. I watched the original. Original, I liked it well enough because I guess I was young enough that I didn't care. Mm -hmm. And uh, the expanse, which is, I mean, it's a great story, but it, on top of that, it's got good production values too. Mm. So there aren't so many moments where you're thinking that looks like junk, <laughs> you know, not yeah. in a good way. Uh, what was actually something really interesting that I was watching where I wasn't expecting, uh, CG and did see some CGI. Uh, you haven't gotten to this point yet. But it was um, in the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, okay. Yeah, where there's a couple of shots where um, the world in the present day doesn't... Like, you couldn't get, like, B-roll, like, background footage right. of something because it's set in the 50s and okay. it's now, right. right? So there was a couple of shots where I, like, was able to noticeably tell that it was CG. Mm -hmm. And there was just, like, it was lights and stuff. Because, you know, like, you can't have, like, a video of, like, the skyline today and have it look like the 1950s. Right. Right? right, right. Like, that's just not practical. So there was... Well, I think I've seen one scene where they're using it as a... Not intentionally to make it look like something that it isn't. Yeah. Where they did the travel between New York and Paris. Mm -hmm. like, it's a cool special effect to just give you the yeah. idea of I, the travel. I'm not talking about that. I'm okay. talking no, about... No, I know. Yeah, because that one, that one was more obviously fantastical. Like, they but, did a whole, like... 
Yeah, I guess one landmark to another. Right. So I'm what I'm saying though is I guess the point is that because they're willing to make those kind of sort of uh, storytelling jumps, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually had CGI in it. it no, and th- they absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think it's fine. Like it yeah. doesn't take away from the story at all. And also, if you want some, you know, like B-roll background footage, uh, it did do a decent job of a sort of establishing the time that it was. Right, right. Another thing that they used for. Um, footage was what looked like some handheld footage that actually was older oh, uh, okay. where it was like grainier and whatever and right. it looked like somebody was you know like filming a, I, I don't remember exactly what it was if they were filming out of a car or something but this is also my plug I guess for Maisel because that's a really good show that's I'm also in, on Amazon okay Prime. so I'm enjoying it the, mm-hmm. I, this is my second sort of um go you watch like an episode in a quarter or yeah because the, the first go I found I found her too annoying I mm-hmm. it felt I didn't find her sympathetic in really any way, initially. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, maybe I'm just a little bit cold. But part of it was that the whole privileged kind of life. Yeah. Right? With the really swanky apartment. And, you know, I don't know. I just I didn't find anything that connected. And now I'm really enjoying it for maybe some different reasons. I I, I think I had to give it a chance. So, I, yeah, yeah, I am enjoying it. It's a really it. good show. It's got really sharp writing. And one of the things that I really like about it is the way that they use comedy within the show. Because mm-hmm. it's a funny show. It's a it's a really funny show. And because she is trying to be a comedian, um, they use her sets. But they actually, they use quite a bit of her sets. Like, there is, there's a lot of stand-up in the show. Right. And I like that when her comedy is funny, it's actually pretty funny. It tends to be pretty well written. There's different shows that I've watched that have... Um, you know, people who are supposed to be comedians within them. Yeah. And they're funny to varying degrees, I think. Right. One of the problems that you run into is that, you know, the their actors, not comedians. And even if they're comedic actors, right? Right. You're having them do stand-up and you're having them sort of writing when you're writing for a character and it's not right. a real person. Right. You're writing like a really sort of like, there's Ooh. a couple layers of artificiality to the set. Okay. That you're writing so, for them. So it... It's the same idea where you've got one kind of content that's representing another kind of content, and oftentimes when they do that, there's a really easy way to fail. Yeah. Oh, it's like when shows would do, like, hacking. Yes. it would look garbage, or they would yes. have, like, a social media, and it would be, like, bloopster or whatever, and it would just look, like, so, yeah, like, crappy. And now that brings to mind examples of where it's done well. So in books, for example, mm-hmm. where they try to imagine poetry or songs. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times it's not done well. One place where it is done really well, though, Are you is... going to say Name of the Wind? No, Guy Gabriel K. Oh, okay. Both of them. Tagana. Yeah. Um, Lines of El Rosan. Mm-hmm. He Guy Gabriel K does a lot of poetry and songs in it, mm-hmm. and it feels authentic. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't been thinking of Name of the Wind, but I agree with you. Name of the Wind, for sure. Um, that works, too. Yeah. Um, so, no... it. It's a good show, and it uses comedy really effectively. Her stuff is actually pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and also a lot of the stand-up in it does feel very of its time, where it's right. not, like, super funny, like, to now, but you can tell, like, it's a different sensibility. Like, it is right. different enough that it doesn't just feel like bad comedy writing. It just sounds like stuff that I don't find that funny. It feels like a period piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the comedy is also used really effectively in the narrative sense where her comedy isn't always meant to be funny right right, right. uh where you know her g- learning growing as a comedian involves her doing stand-up and like you see actually 
like a good portion of stand-up sets that aren't as funny. Right. And the show is good enough that it writes it so that it looks like she's trying. Right. It looks like she's making an effort. Um, and maybe there's some jokes or half jokes in there, right? Um, but that it doesn't come across very well. And the show does a really good job. Maybe it's just my specific sensibilities. Mm-hmm. But the show does a really good job of bringing me in. And I tend to find the stuff about as funny as I'm supposed to find it. Right. For the show. Right. Like, there's the one scene, which is one of the ways that I sold you on it. Oh. Um, which is, this is very minor spoilers, but this is, it's just, it's just a funny scene. Right. Um, it's not. Well, we don't like have to spoil plot. it. We can just tell people at what point it shows up. It's pretty early yeah. on. It's in the first season. Yeah. And so they're watching another comic. It's supposed to be weird and experimental. Yeah. And it's a incredibly, um, it is incredibly weird and experimental, but also very funny. It's everything that they promised it would be leading up to it. And right. it's this dude doing a set, um, pretending he has a ventriloquist dummy with him. Yeah. And he's acting like he's died. And so he's doing the yeah. whole set. Like, like the dummy has died. Yeah, like the dummy has died. And so he's doing the ventriloquist set. Um, like he's in mourning. And so he's playing all these really sort of body, like ventriloquist kind of like nasty jokes. Right. But he's playing them really straight and being like, and then he would have said... Yeah, I don't know. And, and, yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. it's so weird. It's so funny. So they do a really really good job with the internal comedy, right? Uh, both blending it into the story, you know, not just using it as like meaningless jokes, and right. they use a lot of it without it feeling like like a waste of time or filler. Right. Right. Um. And and then just separate from that, the writing is really sharp. I find the pacing really, right. really strong. Yeah. Now, as we're talking about it, now I remember actually one of the problems I had with it when I watched it the first time. It just felt really exploitative in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And if it was if it had kept on going in that direction, I, I really wouldn't have enjoyed it. Yeah. There's like some nudity in the first episode. Yeah. That feels not particularly not necessary. necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, the first, the first episode is not super representative. The first episode does a lot of setup work for yep. what the show is going to end up being. Yeah. Um, but it is not nearly as good as the show gets. The show gets a lot better, and but it, it doesn't take very long to get there. Right. I think it takes, you know, like an episode and a half, two episodes in. Right. Um, and you know, the first episode and the second episode aren't that similar. And then the tone and it, it gets really, really good. And it's got some... The characters feel very well written. Right. Uh, they feel very internally consistent. They feel, um. They feel real. They feel real. Yeah. They're, right. there's, it's got some strongly written characters, which means that you're not always going to like everybody. Right. Um, and nobody is going to be like a perfect character. You're, you can find stuff to like right. and stuff not to like about all of them. Right. But just like real people, um, if you watch the show because you're spending time with them, you're going to find stuff that you like about all of them in the same right. way that like hanging right. out with a person a lot. Um, right. For most people, you tend to like them better. And then it's, right. you know, like a minority of people who you hang out with more and you f- then find them more annoying. Right. Right. You like them less. Yeah. But yeah. so it's it's really good in that way. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I totally missed the original point why I was bringing up The Expanse. Mm. Um, there's something very cool about getting to read a book before it gets made into really popular media, whether it's TV show or movie. Mm. Just ends. The reason why I bring that up with the expanse is expanse was one of those series that I read before I watched it. If you haven't read it, if you've watched the show and you haven't read any of the books, I really recommend it. You've read the expanse, right? You've read a bunch of books are really good. Yeah. Especially the interstitial stuff. So they've got some short stories and novellas that cover different areas. Like, um, uh, uh, Oh, 
Anderson Station. It was, uh, I'm going to screw up their names. Uh, Fred, uh, no, it's not. Fred, I keep on getting Fred Dawes and Anderson, whatever makes it. Anyways, so it talks about the history of why the place was called Anderson Station. Amos's backstory in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Um, Really cool stuff. And so in that vein, I would like to recommend um, John Scalzi's Old Man's War. I know it's been optioned to be made into a TV show or movie. I think Mm -hmm. Netflix has optioned it. So you think that's going to become more popular? I think it's going to be... If it, it's already pretty popular, I mean, John Scalzi, it's not a, it's not going too far on a limb because I, I you know, we knew him before he was big, mm-hmm. but he's probably one of the best-selling science fiction authors or now. Knew of him, you should say. Well, well, we actually met him. Yeah, I know. Like we don't know him personally. Personally, <laughs> saw him at a signing is different from no. Yeah, at a reading. So it was when he was not that big. But I mean, it's what's funny is, I mean, I love this story. This is a story I've told a bunch of times. I'm sure mm-hmm. I've told it on this channel once. But m- my favorite meeting somebody famous kind of story isn't even meeting him. It's that. Um, so he's really popular. We were at NerdCon, which was a pretty big convention. There was mm-hmm. a, a they, they, the guests were popular enough that they had to have. An organiza- organizational system yeah. for the signings where there'd be rooms of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were waiting in line to get some stuff signed, and he was signing something for somebody, and he looked over and saw us next in line. He said, hey, and this is Minnesota, right? Hey, yeah. you're the guys from Toronto. Yeah. And so I, to me, it was kind of cool because, listen, it's one thing to recognize somebody's face and know that you, they look kind of familiar. Mm-hmm. It's another thing out of context to be able to put them in the context and clearly we'd seen enough of him or we'd left enough of an impression on him that mm. he remembered us years later in a different country, in a strange city. He could look at us. Mm-hmm. You were like a couple feet taller. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look exactly the same as I did. Yeah. And as a it, child. I don't know he, that he was still able to place us, right? Yeah. So I think we know him. I feel like we know him well enough. Well, we definitely know him well enough that he recognizes us a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, so the reason why I'm saying that, though, I mean, I, I've got it. I think I've got a decent track record. So I read The Expanse before it became a TV show. Um, I read a Game of Thrones before it became a a cultural phenomenon. You you read Game of Thrones before it was even like a super popular book. Never yeah, mind a TV show. That's true. But I mean, in in the context, in the the smaller world of science fiction fantasy, it was pretty popular, mm-hmm. and it had hit it pretty big when he did a signing uh, at a local bookstore in Toronto. Mm-hmm that was small enough that there were maybe 30 of us and he was still signing, uh, personalizing signatures and books and taking pictures with everybody yeah. who wanted one. So that was kind of cool. Um, oh, Alter Carbon. So maybe it's not as big. I'm talking, Alter Carbon was a great TV show. Yeah. Also a great series of books. The entire Happen Leonard series where it got made into um, a TV show and it's based on Joe Lansdale books. Mm. And... What else? I get that off the top of my head. That's what I'm thinking of. So I, I think there's lots of books that are sort of ripe for being made into really great shows. And I think Old Man's War, that series, is a, is a good one. Yeah, it. I think it would make a good yeah. show. And this is related to a different discussion, sort of, I mean, a tangentially related discussion. Remember we were talking about how there's something, we're seeing a lot of media right now about the 80s, uh, maybe more so than the nineties, but maybe that sort of, there's a prime period there. Yeah. I I was sort of, uh, speculating that the reason why is because earlier 
media wasn't nearly as easily accessible or reproducible or available. Mm -hmm. So that if you had something, it could be lost because you couldn't, you know, like a TV show, you couldn't tape it. It was VCRs became really popular in the eighties. Yeah. Um, and then there were DVDs and CDs and stuff, right? Yeah. Like that episode of Reply All about that guy who heard the song on radio playing that could never find it again. Right. Right. Um, and so that's what you need to be able to, you know, sort of not only reach the audience, but then continue to grow. Not like Princess Bride is a great example Mm -hmm. where it was not that popular in the theaters. Freaks and Geeks. Freaks and Geeks was, yeah. It got a lot of critical acclaim, but yeah. I think Princess Bride probably reached a bigger audience yeah. where it's just way more popular and it never would have done that if people hadn't found it after it had finished it, its theatrical run and people were able to watch it on VCR and just became more and more popular over time. Because if you don't have it, if there's nothing there to remind you of it, then you don't continue to grow your audience. You don't find a new audience mm-hmm. that can make something more and more popular, right? Yeah. And so, but then... This is happening at the same time, all the audiences are fracturing so that you have people who are, well, is it the delivery system, I guess, is is breaking up into parts in a way that... Content's you, a lot more decentralized now. That's that's a fr- good phrasing. That's a good way to put it. So that you don't reach as big an audience as you used to with, you know, the big network television stations where yeah. you'd have millions of people watching the season or the series finale of MASH. Yeah, or like, look at old TV in the UK, right, where they had the BBC channels, and that was it. There was like six channels. Right. So, um, if there was like a show that was on, and it was like a well-known show that was on at like a Wednesday evening, you know, the next morning, like maybe like a third of the country had all seen the exact same piece of media at the exact same time. Right. Where there was a limited amount that you could even direct your attention to. Because you know this big cultural phenomenon. Like Stranger Things... Uh, like Game of Thrones, like I'm trying to think of other things that are like massive, massive that everybody's watching, uh, or that everybody was watching, you know, like Tiger King when it came out, right? Right, right. A lot of people are still getting it at different times and there's a sort of time delay and it's, you have a lot of different demands on your media and your first exposure to something isn't like, oh, well, it's what's on right now. It's most people's first exposure to stuff is when a lot of people start talking about it. Right. You know, you don't get to share it the same way if you don't all watch it at the same time. Yeah. Right. There wasn't that same issue with spoiler alerts. Mm Mm-hmm. Except maybe with movies, I guess. But movies would be running in theaters for a year. I remember Arthur. Did you ever see Arthur? No. Dudley Moore played like a a rich, spoiled... Aardvark? No. Um, (laughs) It was was, uh, Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli. And it was in the theater for more than a year. When I first watched it, I remember, you know, they'd have the ads in the paper saying... Uh, how many weeks or whatever, just to say yeah. that was a selling point because it had been out so many weeks that it was really popular as yeah. opposed to now. I guess now there's no movies, but before the pandemic. Other than it, Tenet. Yeah, um, that's true, right? <laughs> um, uh, people would, it's not a badge of honor to be out for a long time because everybody's seen it and they don't want to see it again. People are pushing for like the, the getting people in the seats early because that's where the big money is mm-hmm. and then get the, the movie out and into other sort of revenue streams, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting that I was originally thinking that maybe in another 10 years, you'd have people or 10 or 20 years, right? You'd have the people who now have the money to make a big production to, as a, as a tribute to the things that they loved in the two thousands and the 2010s. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be harder because 
there won't be as much money or time, I guess, to create these kind of things for a smaller audience. Yeah. It's interesting because they, they might not be as focused, but there also is still the idea that now when stuff blows up, it can blow up globally, right? That's true. And I think stuff does still blow up in the same way. I think there is still a lot of stuff that's reaching the same number of people, but I think the cycle for how long it lasts in people's sort of consciousness is different too, mm-hmm. where I think there is a lot more stuff so the the more media you have access to and the more good media you have access to, there's a bunch of incredible shows that I love, right? That it's really easy for me to forget about if I'm not like thinking about them. Mm-hmm. I can go, oh, I remember that. And there is like recently I remember Dirk Gently. Oh, Dirk Gently was so good. Yeah, Holistic Detective Agency. It's really, really good. It's an incredible show. Um, Max Landis was such a dink. It's yeah, his fault. It's, it's, it's no slightly season. harder to recommend it now. Uh, that I know, like, the showrunner or the main person behind it was uh, right. a serial abuser. Um, right. But I think I might have to say alleged. I don't know if this is a public enough form. It seems very credible. I personally right. have, I have no issues believing the allegations against him. They do seem very consistent with everything that I've seen about him. Right. Uh, his, the, the, the vibes, even just the vibes that he gave off in interviews. <clears throat> right. Um mean it's not hard for me to believe that but i might need to say alleged because i don't actually know the status right and right. when i'm normally talking about this stuff i don't need to watch what i say as much because i'm not saying it in a public forum yeah and so it doesn't really matter so i'm gonna right. say maybe alleged maybe right. not alleged i don't actually know right yeah um another thing i saw something actually um about how netflix does stuff now so it might not we're definitely not getting it because of max landis we're not getting a third season uh, for sure for sure Right. But Netflix doesn't renew a lot of shows for past two seasons anymore. Um, and I read that for shows. Um, it's like similar to the reason why Disney, um, for the Disney Channel, would run a limited number of seasons. Because after a certain number of seasons, um, you tend to have contract renegotiations. It gets expensive. Uh, it gets more expensive. Oh. And Netflix has a business model. They ran the numbers. And the actual like benefits of having a show have diminishing returns after the first two seasons. Right. Um, just because I guess, you know, if you watch the first two seasons of something and then you hear that there's not going to be a third season, I guess you're not losing a lot of Netflix subscriptions off of that. Right. And You're already hooked. And having a wider breadth of shows with a couple of seasons for them, if you're actually making it as a Netflix original, uh, is probably more profitable. So it makes more sense for them to funnel money to new products products to get new hits right like a tiger king might actually get people to get a netflix subscription right right but season three of something season three of tiger king (laughs) can't even have season three and it kind of makes sense too because in old shows right if they were good you could pick up an audience and you could have more people watching season three on like cable than you would season two so season two could be you know uh the baskin strikes back and season three could be Return of the Tiger King. Oh, my God. <laughs> but You know when he gets out. Yeah. Like, ratings could improve for a show over sure. time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But now, because if you're watching on Netflix, especially when you're watching on a streaming platform, nobody watches season three of something without watching the first two first. Right. If it's out. Especially right. if it's, like, story-based. If it's narrative-driven. So, if you have a show and, you know, you look at how many people watch the first episode... Right. Some people are going to fall off by the end of it. Some people are not going to watch when right. the new season comes out. So if you imagine the first episode of the first season has like 100% viewership, by the time you get to season three, 
if only half of the people who, you know, watch season one are still on, mm-hmm. then you, you have increased cost and diminishing returns. Right. And so the only advantage that new seasons have is they can potentially bring fresh people to watch the entire run. Right. But each new season after that, if you think about the fact that you're just getting a slowly smaller and smaller audience right. and a smaller percentage of the people who watch the initial stuff, it really is whatever value the first season has, the third season has less value to them. Right. So it's, it's interesting. So that's, that's unfortunate for TV because a lot of shows wouldn't get past sort of two seasons anymore on Netflix. Like even if they're good. Although I I will make, I mean, as sad as it was to see the ending of my so-called life after Mm -hmm. one season, freaks and geeks Mm -hmm. and undeclared, there is something very special about those shows where they were, in a lot of ways, to me, perfect the way they were. Yeah. And they never got a chance to um, despoil their own memories. Yeah. And that's that's an advantage. There's also people who sort of leave before their time. One of the things that I saw, saw, uh, saw that was interesting is BoJack Horseman, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that show. It's a great piece of media. It's great television. It was... I think, like, the CEO of Netflix or somebody really high up in Netflix, somebody who would be making potentially decisions or either directly or indirectly on what shows get passed. Yeah. One of their favorite shows. And it got canceled. And it got canceled, like, a season before. Like, they gave them warning. Right. Um, But it got canceled before they were sort of ready. They had, like, another... They had more stuff in the tank. And it ended strong, right. and it was good for its whole run. Um, and it was, you know, the people at Netflix loved it. It was critically acclaimed. It was like one of those shows that I don't know exactly how many people it reached, but it was one of those shows that really like was well beloved by almost everybody who watched it, Mm -hmm. but it got canceled because, you know, it it just didn't make sense for Netflix to make it. And it's always unfortunate because I know that like TV is a huge investment. It's always unfortunate when there's something really, really good and the advantage of having stuff not get bad and stop before it gets bad, I think is maybe not as is, isn't enough to outweigh stuff getting cut down before it's ready. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. We don't need a lot of questions. This no, month, huh? we're halfway through. All right. So we should put, I, I forgot last time we should put something about where the actual questions start. Yeah, just 26 so minutes. <laughs> That's just us talking about media. Uh, anyways, our first question, or I guess it's not a question, it's just a comment. This is like, a, this feels weirdly appropriate now that yeah. we spent 26 minutes not yeah. answering questions, which and it comes from Sam L. And they say, love how these guys never interact with their comments. And that was on a weekly recap video. And then uh, Care replies, they literally do a weekly Q&A. Yes. And so... It was funny <laughs> when we put it in because we do a weekly Q&A and now it's, tur- it's, it's wrapped around and been funny in the other reason because yeah. we do a weekly Q&A, but it's 27 minutes of us talking yeah. before yeah. we've read a single question. So so the next uh, question, I think I can try to sum it up. It's from Carter Sloan mm-hmm. and they did a, a list of 40 or 37 weeks of the previous challenges and then 38 and 39 were empty or 38 39 and 40 were empty and then wash rinse repeat with a question mark and so i'm thinking no yeah the implication being that there is like a challenge cycle that we can figure yeah. out yeah so there's at least 66 different challenge characters i'm not sure how many but there's at least 66 and many have not repeated in in more than a year more in a couple of years so there hasn't been a discernible pattern yet 
There might be, but the way it's going, the, if you're going to base, you know, it, it's inductive logic. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at what's happened before, there hasn't been. Nothing mo- lasting more than, say, like 12 weeks. Which um, is weird, because you'd think that a pattern would make way more sense than just putting people in at random. Yeah. Just sort of slapping them in all willy-nilly. But it well, seems like they are. I guess there there was one point where it looked like they might have been going for a pattern, but it feels like that with the challenge characters, more so than even the multiplayer rewards, they use the challenge character sometimes as a cross-promotion for other things that are happening in DC Universe. Yeah. So... We know when the Joker movie came out or when the Suicide Squad movie came out, they interrupted what sort of pattern they had at the time to uh, push their other media projects. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, the, it's interesting, but multiplayer for sure has a pattern. Challenges, not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, our next question comes from Thunder Bam Bam, and they say, question slash request been seeing a lot of videos and playing a lot of teams that are Flashpoint Batman and Aquaman with Metal Shazam. That team is almost impossible to take out. Have you seen this team and maybe talk about countering it? So not related to the question, but I'm looking at Thunder Bam Bam and there's this just really, not that there's a problem with this, but it just goes to tell, uh, to, as an example of why spacing is so much, so important in fonts. I almost wanted to read that as Thunder Barn Barn. Because it looks like the way the R to the B looks really tight, it almost looks like the M is an R and an N mm. both times. Um, it's an interesting question, but this the, the problem with the way the question is worded is that it's not just enough to have the characters because the gear loadout matters so much. Yeah. Um, if we're talking about New 52 Shazam, because we're assuming that the metal Shazam means Shazam and not, say, Black Adam, because some people think of Black Adam as sort of the black Shazam, sort yeah. of the, the negative Shazam, right? Um, so new 52 Shazam, I feel like is the biggest part of the problem. Very professional. Uh, Yeah. you know, at least when, when I'm facing him is because he can't be knocked out when he has a teammate left. Mm -hmm. And so if you get rid of all his health, he survives it. In fact, actually, even before he tags out, uh, he might even whack you a few times for free because you can't do any more damage once he's got down to technically one health, I guess. Yeah. And then when he tags back in, he's invulnerable for a while. So he can't be knocked out again. And depending on how much he's been promoted, it might be another 21 seconds, which in a fight feels like can feel like forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it depending on what you've got left and how sh- new 52 Shazam is geared and how much damage he's doing. Um, so how tough he is when he's, he's, he's taken the full amount of his damage, which is substantial because he's a metal character, mm-hmm. and he comes back in and he's invulnerable for 21 seconds, so you could do as much damage as you want and he would survive that. How tough he is to face depends on how much damage Flashpoint Batman and Flashpoint Aquaman have done to you by the time New 52 Shazam tags in. Yeah. Um, so, the, and out of those two Flashpoint characters, in my mind, clearly... Flashpoint Batman is the bigger problem because even without any other teammates, he's going to do a huge amount of damage. Uh, Flashpoint Aquaman is better because of Flashpoint Aquaman, so he'll do more damage too. And I feel like in some ways, I mean, if what you're working with, the reason why you feel like Aquaman is more dangerous than, say, Deathstroke. Uh, Deathstroke does more damage because of his passive on specials, but Aquaman does a lot more damage on his damage over time. Mm. So in a team where you've actually got a tank uh, as part of your team, 
where somebody really can eat damage and maybe even take no basic damage or yeah. no critical damage, he's still vulnerable to damage over time and could bleed out. Mm-hmm. So then you can't sort of wait it out nearly as easily when you're facing Shazam, right? Yeah. So it entirely depends on who you've got. To me, the main strategy is you need somebody who has... You're facing New 52 Shazam. You need somebody who's got um, damage potential, but also doesn't take a lot of damage. So the teams that when I'm facing New 52 Shazam, and he's always the most dangerous when he's the first person in the slot, because by the time you get him out of the game, he's still alive, and you're facing two new fresh guys. Mm-hmm. It's that um, I'll use Flash... On our Flash 1 team, we'll use Flash 1 Aquaman, because when he blocks, he takes little damage. His bleeding does... An, he does, otherwise doesn't have as much offensive potential as Batman or Deathstroke, but his bleeding is enough to sort of drain out Shazam's health to get him to swap out without using anybody else. So we can save our Astro Harness invulnerabilities for somebody else on the other team who's got Astro Harness. Yeah. And so that by the time Shazam tags back in, then we've got at least two guys. So Aquaman, who can block and minimize the damage and Batman who can um, eat a little bit of damage because Astro Harness. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you're looking at an overall strategy, part of it is that you need to have somebody, you need to have at least two people who have some tank potential and at least, oh, there you go. See, we're watching New 52 Shazam right now. <coughs> we need at least two people with tank potential and both of them have to have some sort of damage potential because you can't just wait it out and wait until he kills you. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a good example. I don't, I don't even think that New 52 Shazam plus um, Flashpoint is the tough team. This is probably the toughest team that we're facing right now where it's all medals, uh, Batman Ninja Catwoman, who's the best medal, plus Shazam, plus uh, Nightwing. Mm. They're actually tougher, I think. See, we're down to one person. We Now we've got a... We've only got one person to wait out until Shazam um, gets loses in vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And see, it's 21 seconds is a long time. And see, now he's doing damage over time. He's going to bleed us out. Oh, there we go. Just in time. Yeah. That that so. little light column was signifying that he's Here's got a that. summary from Wikipedia. Just in time, <laughs> man. Hey, Google. Also n- stop. <laughs> I wonder what, what it thought was he said something trigger. just in time. Uh, no, but what was the trigger? Like, it's supposed to not yeah. do it without the trigger. Okay. She wanted to chime in. She had stuff to say. Yeah, sorry. Hopefully we didn't trigger anyone else's Google Home. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, our next question comes from All Your Cake Belong to Us. And they say, hello, BDCKR. I hope you guys are doing good, as always. I have a request for you guys. You guys are so consistent, but can you also considered to make content with other games as well. Uh, P.S. I'm only saying this because this game is not played by many people nowadays, and I hate to see that you guys don't get the views you deserve. It's nice. It's a nice comment. It's a nice, nice compliment. Yeah. Um, First off, I would say I think we do get the views that we deserve. I agree. Um, I agree. I think uh, for what we're doing, it's cool that people listen to us. It's, you know, this is pretty fun. Yeah. We have a good time with YouTube. We have people supporting us on Patreon. We have people watching us. Uh, We have people commenting consistently. We get, uh, like, the vast majority of our feedback is positive. We get an excuse to have a conversation every week that's scheduled so that 
you know, it's a lot of times when you don't make the time mm-hmm. to conversate, no, to just, you know, check in with, mm-hmm. uh, with the people in your life. Sometimes it's easy to put it off and have it not happen. This has been something yeah. pretty good we've had for the last few years. Yeah, so we get to talk for half an hour about media that we like at the beginning of a video that we're supposed to be doing other stuff for and nobody minds. Right. Um, I think that's one of the things about getting bigger, which is that, and it's why you see a lot of people, like a lot of YouTubers, get burnt out mm-hmm. um, doing this thing that they started out not expecting to make money from or, you know... Right. working with like a, f- a tiny fraction of the audience that they have now, but loving it so much more, which is that the bigger the audience you have, it's not to say you can't still enjoy making stuff, but the more beholden you are to other people and the more right. the content becomes about something other than doing what you like from right. it. Right. And that's the cool thing is that we only do stuff that we like. And I, you know, we don't, I don't have anything else that I want to do that I can make um like sustainable content from. And sometimes I get ideas for other stuff and I enjoy the process of working on it to a certain point, right. but then I don't enjoy the process long enough to actually make it consistently or even right. make the product in the first place where I, you know, get to whatever stage and then I don't end up finishing it. And I like that I don't need to, right? If I do a video essay and I have a cool idea and I workshop it and then it hits a point and then I stop making it and I'm allowed to, right. you know, I think there'd be some value of feeling like, oh, I got to make this for people. And then, you know, I could come out with something that I liked and I thought was good. That would be cool. Right. But at the end of the day, uh, if I get to a point, I'm like, yeah, maybe not. And then I don't. Yeah. That's also kind of kind of cool. It's it's cool to have that yeah. sort of freedom. So that's part of our our intention and why uh, this is how we do it. But there's also something else that you just sort of touched on in terms of why the consistency is even possible. It's really because it's injustice. There's we wouldn't be able to be this consistent with anything else. So it's it's not different from any other content creation. Or may, I'm thinking along lines of writing. Um, that say let's say you're writing an academic paper, any kind of writing actually. Um, what you don't see is the prep work that happens before the writing and then the editing that happens after the writing, mm-hmm. right? And the the myth that the writing is just it, that you put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard and all that, that just putting the words down is really all the work mm-hmm. is probably the biggest myth. And it's the worst in the one area where you think, oh, it probably is pretty easy because, you know, in fiction, you're just making stuff up. Yeah. But fiction writers do a hell of a lot of research and there's a huge amount of work that goes into um, proofing, editing. Uh, what's the word when you do doing new drafts and stuff like rewriting and all that stuff. It takes a huge amount of work to do that. So there's, I think there's a myth around people. There's a romanticism around fiction writing where it's just, you just sit down, you make up stuff. It's like the ultimate kind of, um, bougie kind of work right yeah where you just get to make up stuff and get paid for it but it's 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 pretty hard it's it's a lot of if you want to do it well you actually spend a lot of time getting ready to do the work and then fixing it up after you've done the work mm-hmm. to the point where it's really hard for writers to make a living doing it um, and they have to really love what they're doing because it brings them joy not because it makes the money mm-hmm. or whatever other kind of um you know, benefit you hope to get from it, whether it's being like popular on, you know, like us on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so, I think I'm really happy where we're at with this actually. Yeah. And I mean, it would always be cool. The, 
I don't, but I don't think there's a version of this that we do where we get a lot more views and we have time okay. and we enjoy it the same way. I think this is actually the right mix of stuff for us. If we were looking to make this our living, uh, we would be doing very, very poorly. We'd be eating a lot <laughs> less is what we'd be doing. Yeah. And we would be doing a lot more stuff if I didn't have full-time school and like a lot of school. Like I yeah. do a lot of school work. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't have time to make other types of videos on top of what we're doing. Right. I'd love to see some. Uh, you've t we've talked about off camera some of the uh, the ideas that you've had, and I would still love to see some of those projects. I've definitely got at least one idea that I think is going to end up in a video at some point. There's always stuff. There's always stuff in the back of my head. Every once in a while, I do stuff. But I think what we've discovered is that if I can't do it in my free time over the course of like about a week, maybe a week and a half max, yeah, um, for something is that there's not for what this channel is, yeah. Uh, I, I, it's hard to get anything out that would take longer than that. Right. Right. <laughs> Just practically, uh, unless there's, uh, sort of, unless the thing I'm doing is inherently good and the actual video making is just sort of collating the story afterwards, right. which is what the video that I'm, that's kicking around in the back of my head right now is, which I literally can't make yet because it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's an ongoing process. Which is really cool because I, 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 I know what's going on and it's such a cool story and I yeah, can't wait little, to see what the video comes out I don't know how the yeah. video is going to be. That's the thing is that it's cool and I don't know how I, I know the type of content that it is. That's, that's the other thing for a lot of stuff, which is that the stuff that I know and the stuff that I know enough about that I sort of can feel the shape of it. Like I understand what a video essay looks like. Right. Right. I understand what like a design analysis video looks like right um i understand sort of the shape the pacing the pattern um and knowing what that looks like is so different than being able to produce it right like the sort of reaction video format but like the modern reaction video like commentary video more i guess than reaction videos mm. um of like drew gooden uh danny gonzalez uh, Gus Johnson does some good ones. Eddie Burback does some great reaction video stuff. Um, Cody Co. I know a lot of people like mm -hmm. I haven't actually watched him properly, but like I, I know what that format is. And mm -hmm. so every once in a while I see something, like I'll see an ad for something on Instagram and I go, Oh, that's, I really want to look into that. Right. Um, or I, I could make a video about it. So like, you know, Garfield Eats, mm -hmm. I feel like I could make a video about. Right. Um, I feel like I got a bunch of ads for Ontario Dairy uh, on my Instagram feed and <laughs> it's a, no, it's a weird Instagram account. Like they put a lot of work into it and it's not entirely clear why. Um, like one of the things is that there's supposed to be like 16 like vitamins and minerals and milk. Okay. Um, or something like that. I don't know if 16 is the number. I pulled that out of my head, but it feels right. So they did a coloring book, yeah. um, dedicated to, the ingredients. So there's like a coloring book page where it's a woman doing yoga and the word phosphorus is just in huge text in the middle of the page. And then there's like a children's rhyme about phosphorus to accompanying the like adult coloring book page I, that you can download in a PDF. Yes, and so okay. I saw the ad, it was bizarre. I tried to find the coloring book and then every time I tried to open it, there was like a bunch of like background animation. Like it was a really sort of like overdone, like one of those like new sort of new age tech like um, sites where there's like bubbles or whatever in the background and it kept crashing my Instagram every time I tried to open it. So I was literally trying to go and download it. Like I was engaging with the ad in exactly the way that they would expect you to. 
and I'm using a relatively new phone, right? It's like a right. Google Pixel 3XL. Um, and uh, I was trying to engage with the ad exactly how they wanted me to, and it kept crashing my phone every time, so I couldn't yeah. access the adult coloring book that they made for milk to advertise, like, phosphorus <laughs> in milk. Yeah. And it was a really bizarre experience. And then I went on the page, um, and there's, like, a lot of posts. Like, it's an active account, and they put a lot of work into it. Right. And there was one image, because you can tag um, people on images right. in Instagram. And if you tap on it, it shows all the tags, and they can show up in different parts of the image. So there's an image where they're like, do you see, like, the 16 vitamins and minerals in milk? Tap on the image to see more. And I tapped on it, and there was a bunch of accounts that they made, and there was a different account for each of the nutrients in milk. And if you go on it... There's this thing you can do where when you when you um, look at somebody's Instagram feed, oh, it shows up in like a three um, three across in a row, and right. then rows go down. And so they did a three by three grid of nine images um, that were all stitched together to make one big seamless image right. that had a bunch of information about each of the individual nutrients in milk. And so it was this like corporate art thing where they made like 16 instagram accounts they made like an image for each for each of the nutrients in milk they um you know chopped it up into nine separate images right they posted them all in the right sequence and then they like tagged it on this just like this picture of white milk and so i was on the ontario dairy instagram account looking at a picture of white milk and going oh my god how many like and thinking about how many hours worth of work it was yeah, to like do. And it was like, it was kind of like, it was like an innovative idea. It was like fresh marketing. And it's the kind of thing I would imagine, like it, it's a little bit kitschy for brands that really, really want to seem premium. Like I wouldn't imagine Apple doing something like that. Right. But for like a relatively, it was like tech company press release type stuff. Right. Right. And it was just so bizarre to me that I was like on this like really active and it's Ontario Dairy. I don't understand what they're trying to do. Like, I don't, I don't know who they think is going to be drinking milk or eating cheese. Uh, that wasn't already going to do that, that they think giving me an Instagram ad is going to motivate me to purchase. Yeah. And then I started getting Ontario Dairy ads. I got like a French Ontario Dairy ad and they just, they have a really just big network of like media content and I'm baffled as to what their, <laughs> what their marketing, like what value they think this marketing is providing other than the fact that I know to look for the blue cow. But then at the same time, I've also realized that I've engaged with them and their media more than I have with almost anybody else. So it's it's both bizarre and inscrutable, but clearly it worked because it's wormed its way into my psyche. And I'm talking about it now, right? Yes. <laughs> like I talked about it with my friends. I'm providing free advertising for it now. And so I think I think that's a reaction video, right? I right. think saying, like talking about that, but I don't have the tools to make a reaction video in the format that I know I would want to watch it in. Right. And so that's, we've mentioned that before, which is that, you know, we, we want to make stuff that we feel like if we were um, in the right position, we would watch ourselves. Right. And I think I have content that like, I think I, there's stuff that I see that I think Drew Gooden 
or Danny or somebody could make a video out of, but I don't think I have the tool set to make the right mm -hmm. kind of video out of it that I would actually watch. And so that's, that's why there's stuff like that where I see that, I'm like, that's interesting. And then yeah. it, you know, doesn't turn into something. I, I will say though, that I think based on our experience, that part of it will just be doing it. Yeah. Like what, it's hard to picture what it's going to look like when you've done it or even having mm -hmm. the, like you said, the tool set, but that you'll figure that out once you've done it and you almost have to do it once. It would just take so much time. Yeah. And most of those videos also, I, the, I think the problem is with stuff like that is that there's a lot of those videos work and they're paced a lot more strongly. Um, yeah. when people can show their face. Right. Right. Cause then you can cut, you can have reactions, you can have them talking. There's, you don't need to put something sort of random up on screen. Right. Cause that's the right. problem with videos where we don't show our face, which is that there always has to be something on screen. And we sort of skirt the issue here by just having something random on screen, uh, for these, just cause you know, there's no way we could curate content for it, um, right. for any length of time. But for sort of that video, it, there's, there's no B roll footage of Ontario dairy, uh, that I could show on screen while I wasn't showing specific stuff. And it works a lot, a lot better when mm -hmm. you're, when you're going back and forth to actual right. video. Right. So that's, it's stuff like that where I feel like I, I am not in the same position to make content as these guys. Right. And I also, you know, uh, I wouldn't be as good as them. <laughs> yeah. Straight up. And I know like, I don't need to be as good as that them to start, but, uh, you know, with the way our channel is, it just doesn't always make sense, so but that's, you could, now you have it. You have our sort of mini version of the Ontario Dairy video and what it would That's have it, been. A reaction video. Yeah. So after claiming that we didn't have enough questions, I think we're actually going to run out of time for our questions. I do want to get <laughs> to this next one, though, because I think it's an important one that has to do with the game. Yeah. So John FN says, another method that may be easier for refunding packs. Step one, be logged out of your account. Step two, get the pack. This can be a booster pack, roar pack from Phantom Zone, etc. If the character isn't what you wanted, press confirm, then go to the settings and log into another WBID account. You can make a new one if you don't have another. Step three, log out of the second WBID account, then log back into your main. Make sure not to play any games as this will save your progress keeping your card. Step four, after logging back into your main, your credits will be refunded. Note, can confirm this works on iOS, not sure about Android. Yes, it does work. No, we don't recommend it. Main reason we've talked about it lots, but maybe not recently, is account bleeding. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the idea where you can have two different accounts, and by swapping back and forth in a way that, um, especially when you do it repeatedly, when you're using the glitch repeatedly, mm -hmm. it makes you vulnerable to the possibility that something's going to happen at the point where you're switching back and forth, and that stuff from one account will overwrite stuff from the other account, mm -hmm. but imperfectly. So it can screw stuff up. And I'll give you an example that happened to us with two of the accounts when we were playing around with this glitch and why we recommend against using it and use the other way we actually clear the data is that we had Killer Frost on one account and not on the other. And the account that we didn't have Killer Frost, she showed up in our multiplayer. Mm -hmm. We played around with it for a bit. And then it erased Killer Frost and it erased her completely from the game so that anytime we picked up in that account a copy of killer frost whether it was from a challenge pack or whether it was from the challenge this is the kind of behavior people would see when they would play the challenge for some some character and it would crash every time it tried to award it to them so they couldn't mm -hmm. get past it. so it would keep on trying to award it to them over and over and it almost felt good because wow we're getting free copies but if you check your collection it would never show up yeah so do it at your own risk the risk for each time you do that is pretty low 
But I think cumulatively, if you're using this over and over again, you're just taking a chance that you're going to muck up your account. I mean, it's not an account suspension, so it's not as bad. And there's always a chance that you will get uh, want the, the good account getting better mm-hmm. as opposed to the good account getting worse. Yeah. But that kind of risk to, to us is not worth it when there's an alternative way that clearly is better and works. Yeah. So, and you know, we can't, because we don't do it anymore. Obviously we don't know. Uh, it might not have that issue anymore. Uh, or you might do it for a while and never run into that issue and then think that right. it's not. But just because we know what's happened before, it could happen again. Um, and we know that anecdotal evidence is not strong enough for us to trust something. Right. So one person saying it's worked for them is good. Um, but we know that, you know, all it takes is it not working for you to screw up your account personally. So right. that's not like, that's why we don't endorse stuff like that right. is that if we think there's a chance, we'd rather not just have not sort of run the, the math wrong right. and then right. have somebody, even if it's not us, screw up their account right. and then be mad at us. Cause that would be kind of our fault. Yeah. At least a little bit. We'd share some responsibility there. Yeah. That's the end of the footage already. So there we go. Yeah. We got some more questions that we'll save for next week, I guess. So, you don't need to. You don't need to rush them in all at once. But we'll get. We'll get to them. We'll. We'll come back to these next week. Um, to finish up, we have some thank yous. I'd like to give a shout out to Eliza the Manchego uh, Muncher Caton. She believes Manchego is vastly superior to all other types of cheese. This shout out was brought to you by Manchego the Ontario Sheep. Dairy Farmers. <laughs> yeah, Ontario Dairy. No, but this is not actually Ontario Dairy. This shout out was brought just, to you by Manchego yeah. Sheep from Spain. So was that intentional that we were talking about Ontario it was Dairy? Not. It, okay, so I, just, I wrote wow. this before the episode, um, but we came to it naturally. Maybe it was okay. in the back of my mind. Yeah, I guess yeah. I could have used the Garfield Eats example instead. Um, That's but, hilarious. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and a huge thank you also to everybody who supports us on Patreon. And that would be Consul Peasant and Ed Woon at the top tier, uh, last word. Uh, Muhammad Al-Shady at the Your Message Here tier. Sean Farrell, Daniel Simonson, Aaron Mall, Michael DeVries, Brandon C., Irvin Ruiz, and Eddie Dew supporting us on the credited level. And Chris Wolf, Scarlet Danny, Awesome Gamer 2 for 1, Pavu RS, Gavin Malat, and Isfar E at the gratitude level. There we go. Thanks so much for your support, and we'll see you next time. Komoda. Komoda.